Section four of Fires and Firefighters by John Kenlon. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter four Past and Present Reminiscences of a Firefighter. A sage once penned the dictum that fire makes a good servant but a bad master, and few practical firemen will be found to argue the accuracy of the statement. For the firefighter, life consists of one protracted struggle against this most crafty of elements, which oftentimes is most dangerous when apparently subdued, and which in its methods of attack would appear to be guided by some Machiavellian mastermind of strategy. Hence it goes without saying that to successfully cope with such an adversary demands the maximum of skill and determination which are fundamental characteristics in the genus fireman. The sailor is an idol of the public largely because he is ever pictured as pitting his seamanship and science against the two stubborn forces of wind and waves. In song and story he is immortalized as the acme of all that is dashing and fearless, and it is small wonder that the younger generation, inspired by such narratives, yearns to emulate such heroes. Yet, for some strange reason, the fireman has never occupied so large a place in popular romance. His deeds have not been chronicled with the same degree of graphic narration. The cheap notoriety of the music-hall ballad has perhaps happily been denied him, and it has remained for the daily press to utilize him as a convenient feature in the absence of other material. This must not be taken as implying any want of generosity on the part of those concerned, but naturally a minor fire, though involving considerable risk to those operating against it, cannot receive the same publicity as that accorded to some event of general interest. Also it must be remembered that it is a common trait of human nature to accept, without particular comment, the services of any organization to which it has become accustomed the average person is ignorant of the sea except through the medium of what is written and hence being unfamiliar otherwise with the subject instinctively envelops the calling of the sailor with a glamour of romanticism and mystery nevertheless to those who care to seek it there is a potent fascination in the career of a fireman a life full of ever-varying incident and a calling which may well appeal to the imagination of the young man in search of adventure. Picture a warm, well-lighted recreation room. A dozen firemen are gathered about tables, passing away the time with dominoes and pool, while one of their number is amusing himself at the piano by strumming over the latest popular airs. Suddenly the alarm gong sounds. It is a district call, and almost instantaneously the men are in their jerseys and boots. The pianist has disappeared down the sliding pole with a celerity which would put to shame the demon in a fairy play. While the others are following, the horses have already clattered from their stalls and taken their allotted places under their harness. With a snap and a click their collars are locked, the drivers leap to their seats, and as the station doors swing automatically open, the firemen clamber onto the apparatus which is already under way. Not so bad, mutters the officer in charge, eighteen seconds from the alarm. Outside the night is chill and misty, intensified by a steady drizzle. The streets are greasy, and the engine rocks perilously from side to side, as, with bell clanging and siren sounding, it dashes at full speed along thoroughfares crowded with home-going pleasure-seekers. Arrived at the scene of the outbreak, it is found that the cause of the trouble is a large warehouse on the waterfront, full of combustible materials already well ablaze. The driver, versed in the geography of the district, pulls up at the nearest hydrant. A loud clattering heralds the approach of the hose-wagon. A burly fireman deftly catches the end of a hose-section thrown to him and couples up to the standpipe. Then the crew, with an automatic precision born of long experience, lay hold of their weapons, the hose-pipes, and advance to the attack. Above the roar of the flames raging up the elevator shaft of the building resounds the shrill crescendo of a ship's whistle, 
a fireboat has responded to the call and is wending its way rapidly along the water's edge within a period measurable only by seconds it also has joined in the fray and is directing several streams upon the rear of the main fire thus carrying out the most effective manoeuvre in modern warfare that of outflanking the enemy meantime other engines and other apparatus have arrived curious crowds have collected and strong drafts of police are kept busy in preventing the hampering of the brigade's efforts a large motor draws up its occupant is the fire chief distinguishable from all others by a white helmet there is no confusion little excitement the general has arrived to take the supreme command an officer briefly outlines the situation the fire has gained such and such a hold so many pieces of apparatus are being employed with a certain end in view the only question is whether the general is satisfied that the forces are being used to the best possible advantage they decide that a personal inspection is necessary and without delay the chief enters the building nearby stands a hospital ambulance with its doctor and orderlies ready for any emergency for even as on a battlefield casualties are to be expected by order of the chief a heavier attack is developed upon a particular portion of the structure and an extension ladder shoots up through the murk with men clinging cat-like to its rungs even as it lengthens an order rings out start water and a powerful jet is forced into the heart of the seething inferno the crucial point in the attack upon the fire has now arrived it is as though each contestant were summoning up his reserves with a view to one overwhelming effort at mastery flames have crept into the cellars rendering the task of the firemen in that quarter almost impossible several are overcome by heat and smoke and are quickly removed to the ambulance their places being speedily taken by reliefs but still the fire gains moreover a new ally assists the flames in the shape of a snapped heavily charged electric light cable like some huge serpent it twists and writhes hither and thither menacing with instant death those who again and again essay to check its career it hisses venomously its blue glare blinds them in the pervading gloom until with one supreme effort it is seized and denuded of its fangs being severed from the main one successful skirmish does not however constitute a victory and a reinforcement of the enemy appears to check too confident an advance the roof is yet intact and upon the third floor the firemen are met by great volumes of dense smoke which threaten a backdraft with axes and hatchets doors and shutters are demolished anything to create a draught a sheet of flame and a whirling eddy of sparks momentarily envelop the workers on the extension ladder and few among the watchers can credit their safety as they emerge from this fiery whirlpool clothes burnt hair singed hands blistered but still fighting on with grim determination that marked the last desperate stand of the enemy the niagara of water is beginning to tell and a sullen pall of smoke darkens the angry brilliance of the blaze some of the companies are recalled to their stations to be in readiness for other outbreaks while a sufficient number of men remain until the last vestiges of their foe have disappeared then they too retire perchance to a well-earned rest this is by no means an over-colored picture of an everyday fire in the warehouse district of any city moreover it is devoid of the heart-rending scenes and nerve-racking uncertainty inseparable from those occasions when human lives are involved thus who shall say that the life of the fireman lacks that romance which is supposed to be inalienable from them that go down to the sea in ships that do business in great waters as a matter of fact the career of those who fight the flames teems with anecdotes of splendid courage self-denying heroism and hairbreadth escapes which furnish material and to spare for the great masters of the pen for instance this from real life during the progress of a serious fire in the city of boston 
the assistant chief went to the top of the building involved for the purpose of opening the hydrants connected with its water protection while thus engaged he was cut off from all means of escape save one which consisted of a heavy telegraph cable connected to a separate building across the street in order to make his predicament known he threw his fire helmet to the ground many feet below extension ladders were erected with all rapidity but were prevented from reaching him by a tangle of overhead wires by this time his clothing was on fire and the position was rapidly becoming untenable all that separated possible life from a horrible death was that cable crawling to the edge of the building he swung himself on to the wire which swayed and quivered with his weight with the utmost presence of mind hand over hand and leg over leg he worked his way toward the center of the cable where he remained suspended ninety feet above the ground had the line run directly across the street the officer with the distance he had actually covered would have reached safety but unfortunately the line was at an upward angle and his efforts to reach the point which he had gained had sapped his vital energy to that degree which made further progress impossible men were hastily placed on hose wagons which were backed in together to form a circle a life net was then stretched between them in case his strength should give out and his grasp relax fortunately at this juncture one of the firemen with a special knowledge of knots made his way to the roof of the house upon which the fire-free end of the cable was attached fastening a rope to the cable he sawed the latter through thus enabling both man and cable to be lowered inch by inch towards the ground when the knot joining cable to rope was reached the officer lost his hold and was caught by his comrades in the net and carried into the street this exciting escape proved no barrier to the further duty of this fireman who twenty-four hours after this incident was able to report for service and carry on as though nothing had happened in the early days before fire departments had come to be officially recognized dependence had necessarily to be placed upon volunteers and many are the stories humorous and pathetic which could be told about them the fascination of the service certainly extended to those who enrolled judging by their social position and by the fact that many of them gave up valuable time in order the better to qualify for their duties some peculiar entries are to be found in the old minute books of these stations indicative of the fact that the commonest breach of discipline would appear to have been a too free use of strong language thus the secretary of one company reports a fireman for saying to him you be damned you damned old dutch hog for which he was severely reprimanded while the puritan spirit was carried so far that a man was fined for saying damn the odds some fifty years ago it was customary for all young men to belong to associations of some sort religious social or political the story goes that one such youth was sitting in a tavern and overheard others of his age discussing the societies to which they subscribed this filled him with a desire to go and do likewise so on his return home he told his mother of his ambition remarking that he was not particular as to the nature of the club which he joined there was a great revival going on in those days and like all good mothers she told him to go with her and join the church well quoth he i don't specially care what it is but i must belong to something so down to the church he went but to his chagrin the minister told him that he must be placed on probation for three months when that period had expired he was told that he must wait yet another two months some time passed when one day the minister happened to meet his probationer walking down the street in a neat red shirt a gaudy pair of suspenders a coat thrown over his arm and bearing a number on his back aha said the pastor you're the one i want to see you haven't been to church of late no dominie answered the young man that probation was too long for me but cried the former it is at an end and now you can join the church too late too late dominie i've joined an engine company down here and it's going to take all my time to look after fires i'm going to one now 
you see i was bound to join something and these fellows let me in without any probation all i had to do was give up two dollars and i was called a member come round to see us dominie we've got as bully a little engine as ever went to a fire from which it may be deduced that the pleasures of earthly fires were greater to the majority of young folk than the terrors of fires to come as depicted no doubt in the bible meetings about that time one of the most popular chiefs was james gulick who commanded the new york fire department the following incident is illustrative of the affection in which he was held by his men a fire had broken out in center street adjoining the works of the new york gas company which had destroyed two houses against the gable end of one of the burning buildings a large number of barrels of resin were piled and the firemen worked diligently to save them by rolling them into the street the night was intensely cold and somebody kindled a small fire with a part of the contents of a broken barrel which the workmen employed by the gas company attempted to extinguish these were warned by the firemen to desist and a big heavy fellow who continued his efforts was pushed away thereupon a large number of his friends attacked the few firemen in charge who were joined by their comrades and a fight ensued the brigade was victorious gulick heard of the affair and hastened to the scene exclaiming what does all this shameful conduct mean at such a moment the only answer was a blow from a workman who struck his head from behind with an iron bar and only his helmet protected him from serious injury turning upon his assailant the chief pursued him across the ruins of a fallen wall and threw him upon the debris but was followed in his turn by some thirty or forty employees men stand by your chief was the cry of the devoted brigade and in an instant the attack was turned into a rout the workmen taking refuge in the gas house gulick by almost superhuman efforts forced an entrance in advance of his enraged followers and amid volleys of coal buckets called upon the rioters to surrender promising protection his reply was a charge with a red-hot poker which fortunately passed through his trumpet which he carried under his arm this put an end to his forbearance and jumping from the doorway he shouted now men surround the house don't let one of them escape the excited firemen rushed into the building and administered a sound thrashing to their truculent foes who were afterwards arrested and even then the former were not appeased and attempted to destroy the machinery which was only saved by the chief's firmness and discipline after the great fire of eighteen thirty five which caused twenty million dollars worth of damage and dislodged more than six hundred mercantile firms the resignation of gulick was demanded upon which the brigade in toto struck work and it was only with the greatest difficulty that it was re-established on a satisfactory basis perhaps the writer may be forgiven for trespassing upon the patience of his readers to the extent of drawing from his own personal experience some anecdotes illustrative of the various phases of his life both before and since he became a fireman if there is any truth in the old adage that experientia docet then assuredly thirty years of practical fire-fighting in the largest organization of the kind in the world entitle him to form some opinions and arrive at some conclusions it would not be difficult to write a whole book with the personal material at hand but the present object is rather briefly to show how any young man minus influence or capital but possessed of determination may climb the ladder leading to positions of grave responsibility and ultimately to the head of his chosen profession incidentally the writer wishes to emphasize the fact that his advancement was in no way due to any exceptional opportunities or to what is termed popularly good luck but rather to a steady and unremitting attention to duty coupled with some of that perseverance which in that historic race between the hare and the tortoise gave the victory to the latter since the following narratives are the writer's own experiences it seems more apropos to relate them in the first person at the immature age of three i may claim to have received my baptism of fire since like most other youngsters anything to do with the forbidden joys of matches possessed an unholy fascination for me 
one day while playing with some other children whose tastes were similar to my own i conceived the brilliant idea of making a good blaze in the hay yard i cannot remember whence i procured the matches which in those days were a great luxury and were carefully hoarded but since desire is the father of acquisition by hook or crook i secured some and what could make a better bonfire than a haystack within less time than it takes to write one was in flames and we jumped and danced around it playing at red indians until some unsympathetic neighbors came running from all directions gesticulating wildly it then occurred to me for the first time that i had done wrong and i promptly showed a clean pair of heels to avenging justice running into the house i hid under the bed and while workmen and friends busied themselves in saving the house i lay there not daring to emerge not until the excitement had subsided were inquiries made as to the origin of the fire and knowing my foibles i of course was suspected and a search was instituted for the incipient firebug it did not take long to discover me and drag me forth when my angry mother carried me to an adjacent stream telling me that such naughty boys had better be drowned early in life than be allowed to live to burn up property and people my feelings of remorse can easily be imagined and i promised that never in my life would i again start a fire and that always i would do whatever lay in my power to extinguish conflagrations but this childish prank aside from the promise that i made on that occasion which i have ever kept taught me one great lesson it is that children when frightened by fire have a tendency to conceal themselves under beds and therefore in searching a dwelling firemen never neglect to look carefully in these hiding places when children are awakened by suffocating smoke or by members of the household during excitement consequent upon fire unless watched they will invariably crawl under beds thinking in their childish fancy that thereby they are safely hidden from the flames and many a little body is on that account brought forth lifeless it is of course difficult to lay down any hard and fast rule for occasions of this sort but it might be impressed upon children from their very earliest years that under no circumstances should they adopt this method of hiding whether in games or to avoid mamma with a slipper the practice is a bad one and though the actual occasion may never arise to prove the value of this instruction it will undoubtedly in that odd chance of five hundred be the means of preserving a precious life in fact this is the epitome of fire control watch and be prepared for the odd chance for just as the individual who is foolish enough to carry a revolver will probably never need it but if he does will need it uncommonly badly so in all fire precautions necessity for their use may never arise but should the unforeseen happen their absence may prove disastrous from my childhood i always possessed a great love for the sea and thus it happened that at the age of thirteen i shipped as boy in a topsail schooner bound from whitehaven to dundalk with a cargo of coal her name was the gazelle and judging by her behavior on that eventful trip her owners were not mistaken in thus christening her we left whitehaven in the middle of an unusually stormy december and by the time we were off the isle of man we were running into a howling south-easterly gale which was not improved by incessant squalls of blinding sleet needless to say i experienced the additional discomfort of being horribly seasick not that on that account i was permitted to escape my share of the ship's work i can remember as though it were yesterday making my way along the wave-swept decks and wondering what on earth had ever induced me to leave the comforts of terra firma for such an inferno of physical torment as was apparently offered by a sea life after hours of incessant tacking we managed to make belfast loaf where we found shelter and anchored preparatory to riding the storm out the ship was in a terribly battered condition sails blown to ribbons boats washed away and half the bulwarks gone ship's boy in those days was synonymous with maid of all work and as there is so it is affirmed no rest for the wicked 
I was promptly told off to make up a good fire in the bogey, a dirty little black stove which smoked incessantly and had been the bane of my existence during the voyage. Full of anxiety to disprove the reputation which I had gained as a seasick landlubber, I stoked up and soon had a warm, comfortable glow in the forecastle. Then I turned in. It must have been a half an hour later that I awakened to find the heat becoming oppressive. The cause was not far to seek. The boat was afire. The black bogey had again played me a low trick and had become red-hot. Moreover, the flu had caught the infection and in turn was transmitting the disease so effectually that bulkhead and deck-planking were emitting a miniature Vesuvius of smoke and sparks. Without waiting for any instructions, I attacked the invader with buckets of water, the sleepy crew lending an extraordinarily willing hand when they realized that their belongings were in peril. On the painful events following the captain's reappearance I will not dwell. Suffice it to say that I received the smartest lacing the old man could give me, the memory of which remained with me long after I had left the merchant service. But the moral is obvious. Anything more ludicrous than stovepipes passing through unprotected wooden bulkheads would be hard to imagine. Yet such is the conservatism of the sea that it is by no means uncommon to find such conditions even today in small coasters and smacks. The foregoing was my first fire at sea, but I was fated to have another experience of a more serious character. I happened to be quartermaster in the old Abyssinia of the now defunct Guion line, plying between New York and Liverpool. We had sailed from the former port in the month of July, with nine hundred passengers of all classes and a full cargo of cotton. About two hundred eighty miles east of Cape Race a fire was discovered in the main hold, which, though located in the middle of the night, was kept from the passengers' knowledge until noon of the following day, when the united efforts of the crew had been found insufficient to cope with the outbreak. The captain then decided to call upon the passengers to lend a hand, and men and women, from saloon, intermediate, and steerage, bravely combined with the sailors in their dangerous task. Happily the sea was smooth, and to the lasting credit of all concerned there was no panic. Steam was used to fight the burning cotton, and as the seamen were overcome by smoke in the darkness of the hold, volunteers took their places, with the result that after three days of incessant labor the outbreak was under control. Had there been a panic, or had the flames gained the upper hand, the result would have been hideous beyond words, since there were only boats to accommodate three hundred persons. It only remains to add that Queenstown was made in safety without any casualty, and though the incident lacks any spectacular element, it contains material for thought regarding the principles governing fire control at sea. The use of steam on shipboard for the extinction of fires is general, though its efficiency is open to serious question. When water becomes steam, it is practically non-absorbent, since in assuming this form it has been subjected to great heat. As the object desired in fighting a fire is the absorption of the heat created by the flames, it is apparent that any element at a high temperature is unable to obtain with certainty its reduction. All that can be expected from steam is that by its moisture it may be able to check a further advance of the enemy. Hence, if steam must be used, let it contain as much moisture as possible, or, in simple language, let it be used at as low a temperature as is compatible with its existence. But in the opinion of the writer, the whole subject is one of such a highly complex character, and withal of such overwhelming importance, that it merits the study and consideration of all concerned in the safety of passengers and cargo in ocean-going vessels. About the autumn of 1878, I shipped as first officer on a steamer bound from Chicago to Buffalo, with a cargo of oats, all went well until we were in Lake Erie, about sixty miles from Buffalo. I had a trick at the wheel, from eight to twelve in the first night watch, 
and on being relieved i went forward to the deck-house filled my pipe and prepared to enjoy a smoke scarcely had i got it well alight when i heard a cry of fire and rushing out saw flames bursting through the after-hatch close to the companionway leading to the cabin the captain who had been on deck most of the time during the first watch had gone below a few minutes before his wife who was with us on the trip was in the cabin at that moment running aft i realized we had a very dangerous fire with which to contend the deck watch in charge of the mate attacked the blaze and i dashed into the cabin to notify the captain and his wife in a few minutes they were both on deck and the fire had so increased that i suggested the advisability of getting out the boat and launching in addition the life raft which we carried this was agreed upon since the steamer was constructed of wood and her condition was hopeless we succeeded in lowering the raft but the flames had spread with such rapidity that they had enveloped that part of the ship from which the lifeboat swung making its launching an impossibility wrapping a blanket around the captain's wife who was clad only in her nightdress we were able to get her on the raft but she suddenly remembered that her jewelry had been left behind and implored her husband to secure it for her his complaisance almost cost him his life for on his return to the cabin he was severely burnt about the head and face and he failed in addition to gain his object the dry oats proved excellent fuel and it speedily became evident that the ship was doomed we had either to remain by it or to take to the raft which was built to carry ten persons while we were fourteen all told the stokers engineers and deckhands joined the terrified woman while the captain the mate and i went forward to that part of the vessel which was not yet involved in the general conflagration we stood together near the bow watching the fire advance slowly towards us the heat was intense and the lake was lighted up for miles around by the flames suddenly the foremast fell it barely missed the captain who stood in a dazed condition by my side the mate and i realized that in a few minutes we should be forced to jump overboard and made ready by removing our clothing until we stood only in our undershirts and trousers from the raft which was about two hundred fifty feet to windward of the burning vessel came an imploring cry beseeching the captain to leave his ship and come to his wife he shook hands with us and sprang overboard as he was a powerful swimmer he was soon alongside the raft we however remained where we were for perhaps ten minutes when it became a question of death by fire or taking our chances in the water the water seemed inviting in comparison with the flames and we did not hesitate to plunge overboard after saying good-bye and murmuring a few words of prayer never shall i forget my sensations when i felt the cold waters of lake erie that october morning actually blistering from the heat i thought i had been suddenly transported to paradise between the pleasures of dying by drowning and the horrors of being roasted to death there is a gulf almost as wide as that which divides the celestial realms from the regions of the damned and the sense of security and relief from pain was almost indescribable but now a new difficulty confronted me i had learned to swim in salt water and i found the fresh water exceedingly light and hard in which to keep afloat by easy strokes i contrived to get near the raft but alas there was no room for me upon it and any such attempt on my part would have spelled disaster and probable death to all concerned floating and swimming by turns i kept up for about an hour when my strength began to waver and semi-unconsciousness supervened amongst the crew was a negro cook who sang songs and cracked jokes in an effort to keep up the courage of his unfortunate comrades all the time that i had been swimming by the raft this cheerful creature had watched me and as i was about to sink i felt his hand take hold of my shirt and heard his voice in words of comfort he quietly drew me towards him and with the help of the chief engineer got me securely seated on the raft 
then he slipped overboard where he lay on his back and floated like a chip for seven hours he stayed in the water helping the captain and mate alternately to rest on the raft when they became exhausted the chief engineer and another took turns in swimming but neither of them stayed in the water as long as did this sturdy colored man never once did he complain he was the same cheerful soul at the end of his long trial as he had been when he left chicago we were rescued eventually by a tug which had put out from buffalo having seen the flames sixty miles away the memory of that brave negro has always remained with me i may say i owe my life to him for though i am a fair swimmer i could never have lasted through those terrible eight hours without his unselfish assistance there has always been in my heart a feeling of gratitude not alone to this brave fellow who i am sorry to say lost his life afterwards in a railway accident but to the race to which he belonged many years afterwards when an engineer of a certain company i had an opportunity of vicariously paying off something of this debt we responded to a fire which proved to be in a tenement occupied by colored people the building was already a mass of flames and several persons on the upper floors were cut off from escape two colored women and a little boy were trapped on the third floor mounting to the windows by extension ladders we could see them with their clothing already on fire the only chance of saving them was a desperate one but we took it fireman malavy and i entered and succeeded in passing the three to others outside who carried them safely to the ground the boy and the young woman are alive to-day but the elder woman was so badly burnt that she died in the hospital on the following morning it only remains to be said that the one life lost in the lake erie fire was that of the captain's wife who succumbed shortly afterwards from exposure a circumstance made doubly sad from the fact that she was a beautiful bride of only four months curiously enough my first active service in the new york fire department was in connection with a vessel on fire and is illustrative of the adage that all knowledge is valuable as is usually the case with a new member of the force i was extremely nervous during my first nights at the station although my seafaring life had taught me to be accustomed to turning out at any moment and in all sorts of weather i found that the watching and waiting for the alarm gong possessed a mental strain of its own which is incidentally common to all firefighters during the night in question i had lain awake with tense nerves fearing that the call might come and that i might get left behind then i fell into a troubled sleep to be roused by the sound i had so long expected in my anxiety i stumbled over my own boots and narrowly escaped upsetting my neighbor who did not appreciate the attention i gained my object however and my nightmare of missing my first alarm dissolved as we galloped through the silent streets a french ship was involved a fire having broken out in the forward hold with enthusiasm i seized a length of hose only to be told in official phraseology to leave it alone not comprehending the order i attempted to board the vessel but was stopped by the battalion chief who recognized in me a recruit perhaps i may here remark that it took me a full month to master the regular words of command which are peculiar to fire departments eventually i found my chance for with my marine knowledge i knew how best to tackle the trouble and creeping along through the smoke made my way to the heart of the outbreak there i was found later by the chief who finding me on my face using the hose to the best of my ability told me to get up and lending me a helping hand together we extinguished the fire i was later complimented on my action and i am happy to say that my kindly mentor still survives and occupies an honored position in the department out of the memories of my many years experience of firefighting it is difficult to select one particular conflagration as being more thrilling in its incidents than any other all fires entail risk to life in a greater or smaller degree and are therefore replete with that human interest which makes special appeal to the heart 
for even in the factory or warehouse outbreak human lives are endangered the lives of the firemen employed but sometimes circumstances do arise which require the pen of a stevenson to give them that actuality and force which alone can depict them in their fearful vividness to my dying day i shall never forget the horrors accompanying the burning of the park avenue hotel at one thirty in the morning of february twenty second nineteen o two the gong in the quarters of engine company seventy two sounded three three four forty six which translated into bald english signified the fact that a dangerous and threatening fire was raging in the vicinity of park avenue and thirty-fourth street in the borough of manhattan new york city in other words it was a third alarm summoning to the scene thirteen engine companies four hook and ladder companies the chief of the department the deputy chief and four battalion chiefs engine company seventy two responded on the third alarm and in less than twenty seconds after the receipt of the first tap of the gong they were clear of the doors of the quarters and on their way to the fire at that time i was captain of this company and beginning to feel the full weight of my responsibility a fierce gale from the northeast raged about us as we left our comfortable quarters the snow and sleet lashing our faces and making vision almost impossible the driver of the engine has since often assured me that for a mile and a half of the distance to be covered he let his horses gallop without knowing his precise whereabouts yet in spite of the storm we reached the scene of the fire in less than five minutes on our arrival we found that the seventy-first regimental armory situated at the southeast corner of park avenue and thirty-fourth street was ablaze the interior of this imitation fortress was of wood and filled with arms and ammunition of every description evidently the fire had been burning for some time for as we pulled up there was a constant rattle of exploding cartridges for all the world as though our services had been requisitioned to a field of battle in addition to this the building was heavily charged with smoke which reached the explosive point as soon as an opening admitting a fresh supply of oxygen was effected orders were received from the commanding officer deputy chief duane that a line was to be taken into the armory by the thirty-fourth street entrance at this moment the truck companies succeeded in opening these doors but the pressure of heated air and gas blew the men back into the street almost instantly the whole interior of the building was a seething mass of flame nothing further apparently could be done here as my instructions then were to cover the dwelling houses on the east side of thirty-fourth street where we fought the fire back until the wall of this part of the armory fell outwards burying our line and cutting it in two some idea of the difficulties confronting us can be imagined when i add that the position from which we were fighting consisted of a narrow strip of street some twenty-five feet wide bounded on one side by the flames and on the other by a trench forty feet deep which was being prepared for the reception of the present subway the break in our line naturally shut off the stream and I went immediately to see what had happened. Meeting the officer in charge, I was ordered to take yet another position in Park Avenue in order to cover the Fourth Avenue car stables. These were to the south of the fire, and it was this change which brought my company into a position which enabled it to assist in the most harrowing and exciting events that I have ever experienced on land or sea. To begin with, this maneuver necessitated our crossing the subway trench, which, incidentally, we were told, contained three tons of blasting powder. It has always been a marvel to me that this did not explode, exposed as it was to sparks and burning embers. We managed to reach our goal in safety by means of the engineering shores used in the cut-and-cover system of excavation at this moment from some unexplained cause the park avenue hotel took fire the figure of a woman clad only in her nightclothes appeared at a fifth-story window and above the roar of the flames and the exploding of the ammunition could be heard screaming for help even as her voice rang out 
guests could be seen watching the conflagration from their bedrooms while in the foyer men were strolling about cigars in their mouths discussing with interest the probable amount of damage which would be caused by the blaze little did they realize that the angel of death with wings outstretched was hovering over the building in which they were our change of position made us among the foremost to effect an entrance from the first we were hampered by the revolving doors which prevented our handling our lines with facility thus valuable time was lost and our task rendered the more difficult our arrival had been heralded with the frankest incredulity but once the onlookers realized the grisly danger threatening their dear ones they had to be forcibly restrained from adding themselves to the human sacrifices awaiting us upon the floors above as we climbed the stairs the smoke grew denser and denser till our breath came in strangling gasps and physical endurance seemed about to fail it was impossible to see on hands and knees we groped and felt like blind men instinct our only guide and then the horror imagine crawling sightless along a strange corridor imagine the outstretched hand wandering over an unknown substance which slowly reveals itself to be a corpse that would be a ghastly situation but add to it the distant crackling of flame licking its way remorselessly from floor to floor the shouts of firemen in difficulty the sobs and piteous entreaties of unseen women dying slowly from suffocation and can hell be pictured as more hideous grimly however all ranks alike stuck to their lines scrambled over these gruesome barriers and with almost miraculous tenacity of purpose succeeded in quelling the grim destroyer as a matter of fact the whole outbreak was under control within a short time and it was then possible to realize the tragic uncertainty of life for had the men and women whose lifeless forms encumbered the passages only remained in their rooms not one need have been lost as we returned from the holocaust and passed through the front hall it seemed incredible even then that there were those who were still skeptical that death the reaper had passed with his scythe but next day the unfortunates in the tomb's prison knew of the harvest for amongst those who had fallen in the mowing was one whom they called their angel mrs foster the florence nightingale of the prisoners no lives were lost in the armory fire but the number of persons who perished in the hotel amounted to twenty it is naturally impossible to lay down hard and fast rules for the guidance of people who are unfortunate enough to be caught in such fires but broadly the safest course to pursue is to avoid the vicinity of elevator shafts perhaps i may include amongst these few stories an incident so commonplace to the firefighter that it was never even officially reported but which should bring home to the outsider the daily unconsidered risks accepted by the former without demur on this particular occasion the captain of our company received orders to take his line to the roof of the building to the north of the one on fire the intention was to breach the wall of the burning structure with battering rams in order to better attack the flames as our point of vantage was some fifteen feet lower than the top of the wall to be attacked this move was excellent strategy we lowered our roof rope to the street where it was made fast to the hose and hoisted up to be in readiness in order to make it perfectly secure i was instructed to lash it at the cornice of the roof with a special knot known to firemen as a rolling hitch preparatory to starting the water properly to adjust the knot it was necessary for me to lie at full length near the edge i had just got a turn of the rope round the hose when a warning cry caused me to look round and i saw all hands running for the north coping there was no need to tell me that the wall was falling and i jumped to my feet letting go of rope and hose by great good luck i escaped becoming entangled with them or i should have been dragged to my death just as i reached my comrades the wall crashed down 
carrying with it the roof of our building and the fire instantly swept into the rooms beneath us it then became imperative that we should reach the next house by hook or crook or perish between us and safety was a pocket that is to say there was first a drop of some fifteen feet onto tiles followed by a climb of the same height up a bare wall this latter appeared to offer an insurmountable obstacle but the fire was hard on our heels and desperate men reck little of seeming impossibility one of our number a giant in stature and strength named michael byrne raised me on his shoulders and like an acrobat i placed my feet in his hands making our combined length almost the height of the wall with a slight spring i succeeded in clutching the top of the coping and with sailor-like agility i hauled myself up finding a short ladder on the roof i passed it down by which means the others escaped though the captain the last to leave his post of danger was badly burnt about the face and hands while there must always be difficulty attendant upon the fighting of fires as can be imagined those that occur in the winter months are by far the most physically trying for instance during the great blizzard of eighteen eighty eight which paralyzed all traffic in new york my company was summoned to a fire all telegraph wires were down and the alarm was brought in by a mounted messenger on leaving the quarters we found the streets nearly impassable and after an odd hundred yards our apparatus became stalled we then commandeered any horses we could find and pushing and pulling we worked our way through the snowdrifts to within three hundred yards of the outbreak where the engine pole snapped in two we left the latter where it was but succeeded in securing sufficient hose to be serviceable and for thirty-six hours we remained on duty without food or rest again it sometimes happens that fire hydrants become frozen and precious time is lost in thawing them though nowadays this occurrence is becoming increasingly rare owing to the improvements introduced in modern water supply but in northern latitudes king frost is the bete noire of the firefighter and must be held indirectly responsible for some of those catastrophes which occur during his reign in concluding these brief personal reminiscences the writer hopes that he has shown in a straightforward way what the life of a firefighter really is the stirring incidents which compose it and the great possibilities therein for young men of enterprise and ambition some months ago the whole civilized world was stirred to its depths by the tragic and glorious death of the british explorer captain scott it has been said and said rightly that the world is the better for the man and his example which will live through the ages and doubtless will serve to stimulate others when called upon to face great crises and the writer ventures to say with all humility that the fireman hero though unknown to history and unsung in legend meets death as bravely and dies as gloriously in the service of his country and his people end of section four recording by maria casper